Kia ora. I'm Anne O'Brien, Director of the Auckland Writers' Festival, and you're listening to a session podcast from our 2018 event. Returning for another extravaganza of spoken word performance is Best of the Best, showcasing Aotearoa's poets in league with international guests. Takara Ray Scarborough hosts an evening with John Carr and Jesse Fenton, both of whom are winners of Poetry Idol, Darren Kamali, founder of the South Auckland Poets Collective, Vanessa Krosky, winner of the University of Auckland and Auckland Regional Poetry Slams, and the Dilworth School Team, winners of the 2017 Inter High School Spoken Word Poetry Slam. Among those joining the local lineup are the novelist and poet Alex Wheatle from the UK and the renowned United States performance poet and artist Sonia Renee Taylor. We hope you enjoy this. I think it's really important for people to understand the stories that we share. And so I was raised in a Māori world. I was raised on a place called Matakana Island. So I'm here to share with you a bit of a glimpse of that world. And I'm going to give you my understanding of this thing we call Matariki. Matariki. The nurturing, watchful eyes of Matariki and her daughters helping Tamanui Te Ra, the sun god, fly across the winter solstice skies. We could learn from Matariki. The eyes of a god, Mata Ariki, out of rage about his parents' separation, the god of wind himself, Tafiri Matia, tore out his own eyes and threw them through the clouds into the night forever to shimmer and shine in the realm of his father, Ranginui, god of the skies. We could learn from Matariki. In the modern day context, from this there are so many concepts we could learn. For instance, the separation of a mother and a father will always be a harsh and sharp turn for a waka being sailed along this journey of life by a child to verse. So ensure that you tend to their hurt before they are given the opportunity to hurt themselves first because eventually they will. Matariki, a time to reminisce on those that have been lost to the goddess of death, who was once the symbol of life, ironic all in all, hine ahu one, now and forevermore to be remembered as the goddess who crushed Maui hine nui te po. You see, Matariki, these stars rise on the tail of the Milky Way, streaming where I'm from. That means it's time for the muscles to be milky and the kinder to be creamy, so the barbecue's blazing and the pots are steaming. Perfect time together for whānau hui and meeting. You see, Shakespeare said a rose by any other name smells just as sweet. But Matariki, through the eyes of any other people, is just as much of a magnificent sight for one's eyes to see. Whether called Pleiades, whether called the Seven Sisters or Makali'i, whether called Puanga, whether called Sabaru, the Sailing Sisters or Matariki, regardless, it can't be coincidental that so many cultures around the world gather to observe these stars as they burn bright. Keep that in mind when I tell you that the Japanese call this constellation Subaru, and that translates to unite and Matariki is the exact reason we gather beneath those stars of the night to unite beneath Matariki. Advice for aspiring fairy tale princes. Be handsome 
Be as generically handsome as possible. Be triangle chest and square jawline. Spend all your time in tight pants on big horses. Pretend you are not compensating for anything. Fall in love and in love and in love. Fall in love with a girl who cannot speak. Fall in love with a girl while she is asleep. Fall in love with a girl, but then somehow forget what she looks like after the clock strikes midnight, so you have to run all over the kingdom feeling up the feet of every woman you meet. Have zero hobbies. Spend your days riding through the forest, waiting for ladders of hair to fall down in front of you. Have no friends, no family, no backstory to speak of. Just be a metaphor. Be salvation. Be her salvation. Even though you are a stranger to her, even though she just woke up to find a stranger in her bedroom, even though she just pulled her hair through the window to find a stranger attached to the end of it, even though a stranger just stalked her all over the kingdom trying to get a good look at her feet, don't be strange. <laughs> be normal. Lock her up in your gloomy castle until your talking teapot can convince her to fall in love with you. <laughs> fall in love with her. She changed half her body for you. Give up her voice and a whole underwater world that is the least you could do. Fall in love with her. Get married. Turn to the sky to await your happily ever after and realize that instead, all you have is a stranger who you are supposed to spend the rest of your life with. Spend the rest of your life with her. Grow lonely. Realize that if she has no voice, the two of you won't have a lot to talk about. Realize that maybe she liked you better as a beast. Some women do, you know. Realize that if she's been asleep for a hundred years, the two of you probably have kind of different worldviews, right? Like she's probably super racist. <laughs> Begin to understand that you are not a metaphor. That for all you were her salvation, you never had the chance to be saved. Boy, let yourself be saved. I know she gave up a whole underwater world for you, but that was her call, not yours, and there are plenty more fish in the sea. Maybe you'd rather swim with Ursula, or the talking teapot, or the other prince down the road. You can't fall in love at first sight if you don't know what you're looking for. So, take a second look, because I'll let you in on a secret that none of their once upon a times will tell you. We don't all get to live happily ever after, but we all get to live. Kia ora. Thanks, guys. Uh, so I'm Jesse. I don't have my glasses on, so I can't see any of you, which is a relief. Um, thank you so much for having me here tonight. Uh, I've just got one more poem for you. It's an oldie but a goodie. I come from a long line of storytellers. We tell our family history like, ignore the details, add a few juicy bits, forget the truth and focus on the tale like I am a sixth generation New Zealander. My great-great-grandfather, Captain Charles Hayward, ran a lighthouse down on a cliff in the Catlins. One wild night, a ship rammed up against the rocks and he danced into the darkness and guided all of the lifeboats to shore. They called it Hayward Point, after him. I must have heard that story a hundred times, and I like to tell it too. Forget the truth and focus on the tale. I tell the class, I am a sixth generation New Zealander. And across the circle, Mihi says, so what? 
This is the first time I realize that my version of this story is not the only one that exists. Later that week, we go to hear the Prime Minister speak, to tell us stories of New Zealand history, to tell us that the Treaty of Waitangi brought a long-awaited peace between Māori and Pākehā. And just like that, the New Zealand land wars never happened. Our ancestors did not crash in with muskets and red coats. Our people do not have blood on their hands. I do not have blood on my hands. Forget the truth and focus on the tale. Let it out all the gory bits. I like to tell myself stories too. Like maybe before they called it Hayward Point after my great-great-grandfather, it had no other name. Like before he set foot there, it was undiscovered land, terra nullius, like he did not take something he had no right to. After all, who wants to be part of six generations of thieves? It doesn't make such a good story, does it? And I come from a long line of storytellers. Even here, even right now, I still know how to tell it how to twist it into pretty words. I know how to make you believe this is the only version that exists, but it is not. My great-great-grandfather was a lighthouse hero, but he was not a lighthouse. His story should not be the only one to guide us. There are truths that exist outside his one beam of white light. There are stories our people need to listen to. I come from a long line of storytellers that maybe for once it's time to let someone else speak. Kia ora. Tangaloa, Wu, Amakua, Wuwuda Namaliwa Lala, Mindamata Takina Nanandere, Tangaloa, Kalovu, Amakua, blow wind into the atmosphere, make our visions clear. Tangaloa, Kalovu, Amakua, Naivaka Tawa, Vaka, Bulaikenda, Mendambula, Menda Tandra, Nanora Tandra, Maruekenda, Mendandina, Guardian of our people. Save us from invaders of our dreams. Keep us sincere. Tangaloa, Kalovu, Amakua. Wakaukawa taka na nyumami tovo, kenavisereki, manarere. Tangaloa, Kalovu, Amakua. Strengthen our people and our culture. Free us from fear. Tangaloa, Kalovu, Amakua. Tango maki kemami. Tangaloa, Kalovu, Amakua, protect us. This, this is how the wind blows. A journey of a Pacific Island man 25 years ago. 
come into Atero. Now it's wondrous. Wananavo, Kiora, Nisambula, like my cousin Polito, coming from the north of Samambula, overseas Suva, blooming like fruits coming through the shoots. Pacific Islanders here in Aotearoa, not forgetting their roots. Awesome. Awesome to be here. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. My name is DK. It's been a while since I've been here on the Writers' Festival. My last time was 2013, but it's awesome to be here. I normally do, just do workshops for the young people nowadays, but um, I want to give thanks for the Writers' Festival and to my man, Tekarere. But this next piece, my last piece, it's called Dread. So just being nervous, I need your help on this one, please, ladies and gentlemen. Can you help me? Yeah. So every time you hear this poem, this poem's called Dread. So every time you hear the word Dread, can you repeat after me? Dread. Dread. Nice and loud to the front, to the back, left and right, please. Support DK here. Dread. 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 Everything in my head is dread. In the barracks I was bred. Tin fish, rebel butter and bread. Everything in the sea presents me. Full of Isale memories reappears. Still, everything in my head is dread. 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 Are you feeling all my fears? Are you crying all my tears? Dread. Dread. Reggae music in my bones, funk, soul, R&B, hip-hop, me never ever alone. Everything rising up in my soul. Like me said before, me never ever alone. Because everything in my head is dread. 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 From the street to the parliamentary. Ancestors in the cemetery. Giving thanks to Mother Mary. Every day scribbling poetry. Aotearoa, why are you so cold? So bold, so full, so sold. Around me neck, me wear no gold. Telling them stories of old. So you better let them stories be told. And told, and told, and told. Because everything in my head is dread. 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 Dread, dread. dread. dread now. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy your night. Dom always says I do a little dance before I perform. I think it's actually just stretching, but um, it's my dance. Uh, oh, okay. All right. Um, I suck at reading, so it's really funny to be here. Um, and this poem is about that. Picture me emptying the entire contents of my bag on the floor of a private psychiatry clinic. I'm King Kong flinging objects and muttering, fishing for pens from black hole pockets, except I'm not on the Empire State Building, I'm in Ellerslie, and my ass is blocking reception. I find my appointment card and step into the light. Inside, Peter asks how often I've had trouble concentrating. I start to reply, but, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> ADHD is a hungover traffic light fog for memory. This city is my bedroom of lost and found belongings. If I should have a daughter, I would lose that bitch the minute she came out. My brain is the rememberal from Harry Potter. My brain is 10 cans of mother energy drink thrown in the back of a pickup truck, driven across the Rimatakas with the driver passed out in the front seat. When I say my monster has a name, no one believes me. 
All they see is shoe polish, not the fact I shine my reflection so hard in the mirror you wouldn't see the scuff marks. We army of bright, intelligent women have staked pride in our ability to not be seen as incompetent. This condition is seven-year-old hyperactive white boy who can't pay attention in class, not woman with jobs and kids and awards and degrees who still can't find their groceries. My friend says the letters with an eye roll means quote mark addict, but I'm just trying to snake charm my own body into operating pockets proliferate with scrunched up to-do lists. ADD is hot tears every time I'm late. Warm mud of a river when I lose my mask in the back of the school bus. Forgot to pull the elastic band so tight around my scalp. The grooves are permanent installations, high functioning, effortless. You think I pop brittle in to cheat a class, but I'm just trying to get to my lecture. Eye rolls are why it took over 10 years to get a correct diagnosis to say I'm not making this shit up and have someone believe me. Party poppers are the reason I can finally plan my life. Party poppers are the reason I didn't drop out of uni. My shitty network browser finally connected to the Wi-Fi you call laggy. Today, the psychiatrist calls years of locational amnesia not unresolvable. And my head ricochets around the term like a digital native in perfect command, a hundred tabs playing tennis. I thought I was wrong, but it was just the world who lost focus. Because I'm not dumb. I'm just distracted. Pause. <laughs> um, this next poem, I perform it all the time. It's because it's my coming home poem. Yeah. I'm just going to readjust the mic. <clears throat> my mother is born in the capital of Malaysia, her own umbilical cord tied to a deflating sun. In her country, the heat is wet. The air is heady, the sweat on my back is hereditary. I know no kin except blood tied to bone, my water body leaks red and diaspora yellow, these eyes are glows. It's my brother's seventh birthday. We sit drowsy and small in Kuala Lumpur. KL means muddy confluence. The city is born from the place two rivers merge then flow. I am the point two paths merge just to separate, byproduct of my parents' relations, divorce impeding my mother's birthplace. They say all rivers flow to sea. I cannot find home except the sense of somewhere I can't reach. I am a migrant's remembrance. I am a welcome party. The kettle is boiling and it is time in slow motion. It is the noise of my grandma learning English of a five-year-old cousin. She gets all her R's wrong. Explains to me in basic English, coconut, banana leaf, wet season, hardship, across the phone in my privileged New Zealand accent. Um, I try and tell her about burgers, flat whites, fries with aioli. We don't speak the same language, but we do share the same ocean. When I say noodles, she knows exactly what I mean. Potluck is God doing dishes. Migration is the earth's stirring flavor. Clepsydra. Clepsydra is a clock that runs on dripping liquid. Its name means water thief. Across boats, migrants tell time by the second, and we call them thieves for different reasons. But the first body I live in is a transported container, stolen body, claimed land, white heartbeat, decades of tides that rock us to sleep except landlocked. I cannot dream except that you... Except I have a fear of the open sea, except that you, a dry land, still amniotic, barren, bleeding. I've worn ships, not shoes, since the minute I was aware of my own unbound feet. Only a daughter's daughter body 
arriving to this space every century. The harbour is a welcome mat for a new placenta. I spit in it, and the land claims my whole front teeth. Right, um, tonight I'm going I'm to roll back the years to my DJ days when I was a young, young buck living in Brixton. And uh, we had our riots in 1981, and that is when I made my name because I wrote my first um, lyric, really, after that. And it goes something like this. Um, uprising is a uprising. Uh, uprising is a uprising. Uh, uprising is a uprising. Uh, we're sick and tired of the ghetto housing. I need your social and police beating. We have no work and we have no shilling. We can't take no more of this suffering. You better send for the army and the home guard. We're going to mash up and burn down this garden yard. Come listen, people, to the Brixton board. Police officer, I beg you, put up your guard, Guana. Uprising is the uprising. Uprising is the uprising. Uprising is the uprising. We get up in the morning at 10.30. Forward down the hill to the Brixton City. Sight Babylon, them start to talk away. And we start Flintstone and Masonry. Police get a firebomb in them belly. And the temperature raised by another degree. While you get a sword, you start to loot in spree. Come listen to the words of Yardman Ari Guana. Uprising is the uprising. Holy people building them still smoking. Holy people please call them still burning. Yardman Ari Panimai made a chanting. Why not get her you? Them still struggling, Guana. Uprising, this uprising, Mr. OKS, it is me, the classical MC, Cardiac Man Irie. Me talk, dance, all night, so party. And anytime you chat me, I'll go do it for free. Before me start, chat me up, me collect money. But some promoter send me too greedy, Guana. Uprising, this uprising. So, that's, uh... <sighs> but. Thank you. But unfortunately, um, some weeks after the Brixton uprising on 1981, I found myself in, in prison. I was arrested. Um, it's a funny story, actually, because I denied everything in a police cell. And then um, two days later, when I was battered and bruised, this police officer came in with a big brown envelope. And I still denied it. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. I'm a good boy. I go to church. And um, he pulled out this black and white picture of me, of a brick in my hand, thrown out the police like this in a post like this. So, um, yes, I was um, sentenced to um, a year. I did nine months, but um, I got through my nights singing some songs. And so one of the songs I sang was Dennis Brown's um, Three Meals a Day. Three meals a day, no rent to pay. Only the boss is getting paid, and there is no wife to obey. Sitting in a 12 by 4, looking through an iron door. Let me tell you right now, I could never get used to the smell. No, I'm talking about detention, detention. I'm talking about detention. Believe me, oh, believe me, it's true. The wrong remains the same, but the righteous gets the blame. The wrong every time gets the blame, but the righteous gets the blame. Every time, every place, everywhere I go, 
Whoa, whoa, yeah. I'm talking about free meals a day. No rent to pay. Only the boss is getting paid. And there is no wife to obey. Sitting in a 12 by 4. Looking through an iron door. Let me tell you right now, I could never get used to the smell. No, I'm talking about detention, detention. I'm talking about detention. Thank you. I haven't done this for a long time. <laughs> I did eventually emerge from prison and I started to write earnestly. But I always loved the party. And Brixton, South London, was party town. You could go to pajama parties, sportswear parties, all kinds of parties. And they were all night. They would run on from 9 o'clock in the evening to 9 o'clock the next day. And um, you would get these young ladies wanting to attend these parties. But you would get their fathers sometimes bursting into the venues with their big torches, trying to find their daughters and their dirty dancing with some guys. You know. And sometimes they were dragged out of these clubs and raves and parties. And um, the crowd would want a spontaneous um, lyric from the, uh, from the DJ, from someone like me. They would say, Yardman, Yardman, give us a lyric. So you had to be very quick and spontaneous and do some kind of freelance kind of stuff. And so I would come out with something like, um, while this poor girl's getting dragged out by her father, I would say, your daddy say you must not stay out late, tell her, tell her. Can't it girl, it's getting late and you are underage. So very soon, you'll come of age, and that's the beginning of our day. But your daddy say you must not stay out late, tell her, tell her. And a crowd would poke out their tongue, and they would do this. And that was a sign for me to repeat the lyric while rolling my tongue. It's a Britson and kind of Jamaican kind of thing. And it sounds something like this. Thank you. Yo, yo, yo. Thank you, Dickarry. Here's the first rap I ever wrote for the boys in my crumping crew <laughs> some time ago. Speaks to them about the problems of getting hit on in the supermarket on Cougar Night. <laughs> Countdown, fruit and veg, poking at the pears. Long come a mama with the bling bling ears. <laughs> this dolly got a trolley with a big kid in. Got his hands full of mangoes from the fitty sent bin. <laughs> fitty who, fitty what, fitty where, fitty when. Don't care where, 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 fitty bin. <laughs> well, the dolly with the trolley, she tried to squeeze through. Kid with the mango, throw me one or two. So I moved to the left, to the left, real slow. Quite a bit slower than the first mango. <laughs> and it hit me in the chest. But it didn't really hurt because the thing, it hit the bling on my medic alert. <laughs> yeah. 
I say medic alert, ladies, please take note, because the J-Dog's looking for the sympathy vote. <laughs> well, the next one hit me, hit me like a log in the buttock department of the lower J-Dog. <laughs> well, that don't impress the old J-Dog car, because a mango make a mango, wah, wah, wah. And I hit the ground hollering and hooting, just become a victim of a drive-by fruiting. Yeah. I'm hit, I'm hit, I'm hit, no shit. I've been fronting the butt on the part where I sit. Got a hematoma happening on the back of it. Why me? Why me? Why me? Why me? Do I look like a unit of the G variety? When Tupac and Biggie was living on the edge, they never cop a mango in the fruit and veg. Well, the mama look around to see what a boy's done. I'm lying on the ground counting bruises on my bun. And she looked me up and down with a full body scan. And says, a fruity booty J-dog is her kind of man? Yeah, I say a fruity booty J-dog is her kind of man. Well, that's the kind of sentiment that I can understand. So I jumped to my feet with the mango still in place. With a yo mama, go mama, look upon my face. And with a little gimme shimmy to the blind man, good miss, I say, how many does you know roll like this? She say, I'm very sorry, sugar, for what my boy has done. He's a monster with the mango, but he thinks he's having fun. I'm not a good mother, brother, what can I do? I say, get to know me, baby. I'm a bad mother, too. Yeah, get to know me, baby. I'm a bad mother, too. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I wrote that rap to get down with the kids, right? I put it on YouTube, expecting it to go viral. And it got one hit. And that was from the CEO of the New Zealand Medical Alert Foundation. <laughs> I'm not joking. He rang me up. He said, John, we want you to perform the mango rap at the opening of our new national headquarters in Upper Hutt. <laughs> they flew me to Wellington. They put me up in a flash hotel. They taxied me to Upper Hutt in the morning. Got there. It was a Thursday morning. Got there at 11 o'clock. There were 300 people on the top floor of the tallest building in Upper Hutt. And there were two youngsters there. I was one of them. <laughs> and the other one was the Minister of Health. And I performed the mango rap, and that's where I learned that old people love rap. So I wrote a poem for those old people at the Medic Alert Foundation in Upper Hutt. This is it. He reached for his cell phone sitting by his bed, and he rang Molly Wilkinson. This is what he said. Good morning, Mrs. Wilkinson. Bert Ross here. We met down the road about May last year. I had the GTs, I'm afraid. Competition stripe with a 12-inch carbon fiber ornamental pipe. I was zim, 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 and Molly zimming down the track. 23 minutes to my letterbox and back. <laughs> I say 23 minutes, Molly. I could do more. Because I got the kind of bladder that'll give me 24. <laughs> yeah. 
24 minutes, Molly, not bad, eh? Hey? That's the best bloody bladder at the RSA. <laughs> I don't want to shout about it. Not one to boast. My zim zim zimmer frame tougher than a post. From the stoppers at the bottom to the handle grips, it's titanium molly. Just like my hips. <laughs> I'm a hip-hop legend, Molly. I've had three. I got a stool in the shower from the ACC. <laughs> I say stool in the shower, Molly. Don't get me wrong. I mean a stool that you sit on when you can't stand long. And it's a double-seater molly, just in case. On a mat with rubber suckers all over the place. But that's not why I'm calling molly, not what I'm about. Just need someone who can help me out. Not really sick, molly, not really hurt. Just got a little problem with my medical alert. I got chains for my asthma and my epilepsy. I got tags for diabetes types 1, 2, and 3. Got bracelets for my migraines and my hypertrophic state. One from my ex-wife says, do not resuscitate. <laughs> I got anklets for my allergies. I'm allergic to glue, penicillin, lactose, and Murray Deca too. <laughs> and he's the bloody reason that I can't get up today. Because I'm stuck to my bed, to my magnetic underlay. <laughs> yeah. After four days, Molly, your spirits start to sag when you're stuck to your bloody Murray Deacon biomag. <laughs> yeah, I did ring the bastard. First time caller, too. Told him of my problem and I asked him what to do. He told me what to do, all right. He responded with a scoff and a two-word reply of which the second one was off. <laughs> That's why I need you, Molly. I'm at number 24. Just drive your scooter up the ramp and in the front door. <laughs> Straight past the shower, Molly, to the green room instead. I'm the one in purple jockeys who was stuck to the bed. Yeah, thanks for that, Molly. Come as quick as you can. I appreciate it, Molly. I'm a very grateful man. Then he switched off his cell phone. Said, well done, Bert. You're a chick magnet, matey. Thanks to Medic Alert. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. This is lovely. You know, This stage is about 10 times bigger than most of the venues I normally play. It's wonderful being here. Here's a final rap. This is about old people, old people like me trying to be young. I lost her about a year ago to a younger man, of course. Decided last week to get back on the horse. Bought myself an iPhone and a 3D printer too. Because I'm going to chase those ladies like the young men do. Yeah, down with the young ones, says what I am. Took a picture of my willy on the Instagram. <laughs> yeah. 
You're imagining it, aren't you? I use the retro filter. With a sepia hue. Made it look like it did back in 1962. Then I tweeted it on Twitter. That was all it took. Hashtag old fella's old fella, come and have a look. Then I copied it to Facebook. What can I say? 87 likes by the end of the day. Two of them from women. Yeah. One was not my type. The other one was blind, so I contacted her on Skype. I put on my handsome voice, if you know what I mean. Offered her a turn upon my Nespresso machine. Now she thinks I'm George Clooney. She's around like a shot for a decaf cappuccino and whatever else I got. She said, you a coffee wizard, George. Thanks for the cup. Now let's make love till the sun comes up. Well, even to a young man, that's too much to ask. <laughs> Guy my age, an impossible task. So what do I do to prevent an epic fail? I download 50 Shades of Grey and I print it out in Braille. There you go. Thank you. You've been a lovely audience. Thank you very much. I want to be the very best Like no one ever was To catch them all is my real test To train them is my cause To worth I love anime I love anime like so much more Well I love anime the most Well I want to be the pirate king I want to be Hokage I want to be a titan slayer I want to be a pokemon trainer I want to be a super saiyan Fuck that I am a super saiyan I walk through the lunchtime, battling Shinobi left and right. I go to chapel, keep up my face. Cause that is my Nindo, my ninja way. I write in my death note. English, eradicate. History, eradicate. Pythagoras was harder than he expected. I don't even take math. Math takes you. Uh, uh, uh. Game over. Oh man. Play again. Hell yeah. Choose your character. Luffy, One Piece, they said I was a fool, then my dream was impossible. When I didn't drown as I say sail, they flooded me with insults. But my ocean won't be tamed so easy. I am Monkey D. Luffy, future pirate king. Next character. Like Yagami, sacrificing the ones close to me just to achieve my work. God, it's my elaborate game of chess, but the pawns are my friends. And I'm willing to sacrifice my queen to change from a king to a god. Not willing to take that out. I am like Yagami. A boy thrown into the darkness for power. Next character, Kirito Sora Online. The world is rotten. I use visual screens to escape the dimension. Everything is so pure here. Here, everything is clear. A metal box and wires of my salvation, my rapture. I am Kirito, playing with my dual wielding swords. Hiya! These characters are us. Challenge and hardship tie us together, and comedy is the bow on top. 
enemy runs through our veins. Love. Loss. Strength. Enters our eyes and fills our minds. Sacrifice. Betrayal. Family. Extends through our fingertips while we type www.kissanime.net. Anime is friends screaming. You're Krillin. Jai, he's Krillin. Ha, in case I'm not Sakura. The over-the-top interest in shipping characters and forgetting they don't actually exist. Oh my god, that'd be so cute. You're like so... Kawaii. Hypothetical fights in the theory videos. It's called cosplay. Not dressing up. Who was there when I was sick, tired, and crawled up in bed? Anime. What made me smile when school felt like a prison? Anime. Who was there when I was meant to be studying and doing my homework? Anime. You may think that it's childish. The Japanese cartoon character screaming is ludicrous, but it was our home. It was our cyber medicine. You hear us singing the intro lyrics anywhere, anytime. It's time to do 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 do. Shame isn't in the subtitles. And we can't be friends if you use English dub. So come watch the next episode with us. We have to stand there. That was amazing. Hands up if you picked up on any of their references. Right, hands down Shut for everyone else. They don't know what just happened. <laughs> but they are stoked. They are absolutely stoked. Uh, we have an order from that side to this side. We have Philip, Jai, Nathan, and Jaden. Um, let's start with a question over here for Philip. We're going to do a bit of an interview. Uh, first things first, bro. Um, why are you guys wearing pink today? Oh, we just, you know, love the color pink. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. Well, it's... um. Anti-bullying day today, pink shirt day today, and I'll uh, spread awareness for bullying through wearing pink shirts. Yes, bro, awesome. That's um, that's. <laughs> I actually thought maybe you didn't know, and I'm like, oh no, ask the wrong question. Oh. Ask the wrong question. Should have trusted this guy over here. He looks like he wears that tight shirt all the time. Uh, so Philip, how did you get into poetry, man? Tell us your journey. Uh, so first off, my handle. Um, follow <laughs> my Instagram at uh, Philip It's a T O R I T N N T. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah, but I got into poetry through um, my school librarian, Fireburns. Um, oh, she, yeah. The oh, lovely yes. Fireburns. She was the one that took us to last year's show, and uh, I remember all of us watching and thinking it was pretty cool. So we started writing, and here we are. Awesome, bro. Awesome. All right, um, uh, we have the bro over here, Nathan. Um, you guys, by your own admission, haven't been doing this for long. Have you got any advice for anyone else who was keen to get in or was writing or whatever? Well, you know, starting off poetry, I wasn't very confident on stage. You know, Sharing new pieces, it was hard. It was very hard. I didn't have the confidence to get up on stage and speak my mind like some of the other great poets were doing. But, you know, if I had to give you some advice... Don't care, to be honest. <laughs> no, like, not in that way, but, like, don't care what people think about your poetry. Like, it's your poetry. Like, if it means something to you, then that's your thing, but it doesn't have to necessarily mean some, uh, something to someone else. And if it does mean something to someone else, that's great, you know, because, you know, someone might need to hear what you're saying, and that's a beautiful thing, I guess. My Instagram is at nathan.sua. I'll be outside after. 
Uh, they're going to be having a pajama party, guys, and so um, it's going to get crazy. Um, Jaden, uh, so the bro, you're from Kaitaia. What do your whānau think of poetry? Um, well, coming from Kaitaia, there's like 30 people, so, and only two of them are poets, and the other one's the cousin of mine. Um, so that was pretty buzzy, you know, telling my family that I do poetry, and um, from where I'm from, it's, it's not weird. It's like you know, it's buzzy to them. It's like new to them, and they just liked something new. So yeah, they were like encouraging and stuff. And my plug is <laughs> at Jaden Osborne for my Insta, for my SoundCloud. It's Jaden Space Osborne. For my Facebook, it's the same as my SoundCloud. I'll reply within a few hours. <laughs> awesome, bro. And uh, the final question for Jai over there. Um, you know, you made a poem called True Story. It went viral. And there are two levels of viral. There's viral where, like, your friends have seen it and viral where, like, your mum's sharing it on Facebook. It's the second type of viral. Or when your, mom, or when your mum's more proud of him. <laughs> So many tears behind the laughter, oh, eh, bro? So many tears behind the laughter. Um, bro, what's it like knowing your video has gone viral, people from all over the world have seen it, and they know you even if you don't know them? Nah, that's pretty weird, eh? Like, so, nah, yeah, just, <laughs> like, yeah, it was just really weird. Like, my mum was, my mum found out before I did, so for her to call me in the morning, and like, oh, she just sounded happy, so that was like the main the main thing that I got out of it, just for my family, that was that they were happy. Not at the moment. That my family was hap happy for me, so that's like the main thing about it. Like that's, yeah. Yes, I don't, I'm not gonna finish the question, so. No. All right, what we're going to do now is me and the other boys are going to jump off and, um, and Jai is actually going to do that poem that did go viral, uh, called True Story. Let's give Jai a big round of applause. Bye, Miss Burns. Bye, Miss. Difficult bunch. Before we begin, can I get everyone to take out their phones and go on Instagram? Uh, Jaina.Salkirk, J A I N A dot Salkirk. No, I didn't see anyone do it. Like, we're not starting at all. <laughs> Thank you. Nah, okay. When I was three years old, I locked myself in the bathroom of my house. My house at the time was three stories, and I was at the top. True story. The birth certificate of Julia Naranoa Pihima identified her as full-blooded Māori. True story. Julia Naranoa Pihima was my grandmother. True story. All Māori are uneducated thieves living on the benefit using winds to pay the bills forgetting who the loser really is. Not true. This brown skin means theft. Not true. These hands means fight. Not true. This culture means domestic violence. Not true. I am a different shade of brown. 
I'm in a place where green doesn't mean go. And when potters are necessarily found at the end of the rainbow, but in our gardens. And these pots aren't sitting on our stoves with only water and false hopes because what used to be there was a boil up to feed the whole whanau. But then you took away my pokerings and my watercress and my bonus in life because I'm old and I'm starting behind. You might call me plastic because I can't fluently speak my tongue. Because my pot was always full. Because I'm close to my dad. I'm sorry. My brown doesn't match your brown. I might not have started from the start, but I feel that I'm going pretty well in this race. But because I'm moldy, you think that my mouth means curse with, that my hands mean gang signs, that my fingers mean stiff, that my knuckles mean fights crazy because my fingers dance with the moonlight and the street light. Not knowing that these hands just don't hold my mother's hands, cut up and warm, but the cold stereotypes corroding a young boy's mind with negligence forces him to pry his fingers away from his mother's hands, ripping him from the tikanga that was set up before him. It's not like that. But no one understands. You try to speak up with the deafening silence. Colonization is forced stereotyping to become a household name which resides under our beds to the monsters that we are now scared of. But these tiny files started to show through as we shed this brown skin and start to accept these definitions labeled to our backs with our minds possessed by this monster. But I'm proud of who I am. I might not be a stony, a thief. I might be two shades too white to be considered brown, but I'm proud of who I am. My pipeha say so. My hands do not mean violence. I'm just trying to take back what was originally mine. I don't know where I stand in this land conflict because the land never belonged to me, but I belong to the land. The leaves of my family tree have fallen, but the roots are still embedded. You hold a noose around my neck, but the rope is my own tonga. But the skin, this culture, this fucker puppet means too much to me to forget. Forget where I come from. Forget that families aren't a broken book from a mirror. But forget that families aren't a broken mirror from a book published by Ellen Duff. And their blood only comes from picking up the broken pieces, but the glass is sharper than our words, so no one speaks out. But the people keeping the thought of moldy oppressed, and that my culture ain't got shit to do with skin color, with financial stability, with who you hang out with. But what you say about yourself? I am moldy. True story. My lord. Hi, y'all. How are you? Good. Well, I can see you a little bit, and you're very attractive. So thank you for doing that for me this evening. Um, can we please give it up to all of the amazing poets that touched the stage tonight? Just brilliant, powerful artistry. I'm so grateful to have gotten the chance to be in community with all of them. Um, all right. So I don't get a chance to do poems as often anymore, because now I'm like a boring old CEO who runs a digital media company and writes books about radical self-love and how we live unapologetically in these bodies and how that is access to how we change the world. That's what I'm up to these days. Um, but I think I've always been up to that work and so my poems have always talked about what it means to live unapologetically uh, in the bodies and identities that we have. And so I'm gonna share some of those poems with you all. Is that cool? Awesome. So here's the deal. I need your help. I'm going to steal your energy because I've been back there with like nerves a little bit today. 
Oh, you guys made me nervous. Um, so I like to do this thing called a call and response. Um, if you grew up in a black Pentecostal church, is it just me? Just me. Got it. Uh, fair enough. I'll explain. So uh, your job is just to repeat after whatever it is I say, um, but to be inappropriately loud for this very bougie theater we're in. Does that work? Are we good with that? Can we do that? Are we ready? Cool. Awesome. When I say spoken, you say word spoken. Oh, that was reasonable. That was better than I thought you were going to do, but not good enough. So here's a, I'm going to give you a visualization exercise. Your job is to be as loud as my earrings are attractive. These are very cute this evening. Um, or as my boobs are big. Either one, whichever visual gets you where I'm trying to go. Are, are you with me? You, you there? We got it? Are we clear? Okay, let's try it again. When I say spoken, you say word spoken. Spoken. When I say to be, you say heard to be. To be. When I say poet, you say tree. Poet. Poet. When I say to be, you say free. To be. To be. To be. Awesome. This poem is for all the ways that every single day we resist in our own bodies, bodies of resistance. Roberta watches her sons spout laughter from their geyser throats, sun-choked and filled with joy when she brings them to the beach. All six family members are here, a sanctuary slightly out of reach, a raft against the lash of constant waves but the undertow will be too savage for her to save them. Today, the ocean is a tyrant appointed to swallow them all until 80 disparate strangers build their version of a wall in the Gulf of Mexico, single-mindedly summoned to ferry Roberta's drowning family back to shore. 80 humans who know intuitively that every wall needs at least one door. Today, 80 humans became bodies of resistance. Today, 80 people rebelled against an apathetic ocean's insistence on a sacrifice. And this is life, y'all, in these bodies. Breathless and beleaguered, we coax one another to survive. We are alive despite even our bones' descent. The slack-jawed mutter that says these bodies were not meant for delight. Who are we to smile as the world spins in entropy, a hula hoop at our feet? What right have we to meet this day with anything but fear? We are safe right now, but out there wells the tiny bloom of child we hush from the inside and I know he is, she is we are afraid, convinced we must beware and hide but what are we if not survival personified? Because this, at this very shake of second a queer kid stands unapologetically lucent in the lion's den of a middle school cafeteria just as a woman steals herself and takes a seat in the precinct preparing to report the rape, defiant against the red tape that would sooner indict the length of her skirt only to acquit the menace of toxic masculinity. An unapologetically fat woman on a plane explains to the man who has spent the last 45 minutes dissecting her body in a series of tweets that she has no intentions on vacating her seat of dignity to make room for his hate. A trans woman clutches the bathroom door of 
a woman's restroom at the exact second a politician attempts to legislate her into invisibility. A college student with cerebral palsy and 3,000 signatures petitions for accessibility in the office of a college dean. Some days, the invocation of simply being seen in the body you have today is the chant, is the march, is the picket sign. There is no time in all of history when these bodies have not resisted, even as they attempted to gavel our silence. Nevertheless, we persisted, each of us, a link in the human chain. Your shame has not slain even the lowliest of beasts, but our collective transformation has delivered us intrepid to capitalize city streets, three million grains of sand forged under the heat of oppression until we were fine as keen-edged glass, a butress of bodies unafraid to ask why black lives should not matter as we saw no they and we. New solidarity was a word that must spring forever like water beside a standing rock. The clock of justice will not tarry while you question whether you are worthy of the fight. Regardless of all you've been told, resistance is an everyday act. The work of excavating each tiny artifact of the oppressor that lives in you. Your call to be a balm to every self-inflicted wound is the way movements are birthed. And a land content to bid you endless slumber, waking unrepentant in your skin, is a hero's journey. And the only way we collectively prevail and only then can we say in the words of the famous poet Lucille Clifton, won't you celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill us and has failed and has failed and will fail. Thank you. Last year, I was given the tremendous honor of um, writing the centennial poem for one of the most important organizations in the U.S., as far as I'm concerned, um, ensuring that women's health care and women's rights to autonomy over their own bodies is um, an everyday option for so many women. Um, Planned Parenthood gave me the honor of writing their centennial poem. Uh, and it's just such a joy to get to share it. And so I'm excited to share it with you all. This is for your lineage, for your faka papa. Yes. Oh, I love, I know that word. That made me excited. I was like, oh. Uh, this is for all the ways that we continue to evolve. This piece is called Evolve. Your great-grandmother sips gin slow in a speakeasy in Chicago or Detroit, <laughs> stokes the flames of a pot-bellied stove in Alabama or Arkansas. She is cigarette, fixed a precipice of red lips, tells a suitor, maybe your great-grandfather. Maybe not. <laughs> what she expects of his courting, there will be no hoarding pleasure in her house. Your great-grandma 
was fast. <laughs> and ain't that what we call a woman, well acquainted with the topography of a hostile world, yet unbowed to its backhand, a juke joint majesty, a siren of her own fire, a thing this world has endlessly tried to expire but could not, which is why you are here today. Your grandmother, cursed or never cursed, drank or never drank, knew men the way Job knew trials or never knew sin at all. She was a country girl or familiar with the infinite heat of a New York City street. She was sweet on a woman once they kissed and never told. She was Irish or Dominican or golden brown as the Mississippi dirt road glinting in the sun. She has labored whether with hand or with heart. She has known part and parcel of struggle, knew she was done birthing after birthing the child that birthed you or knew others would follow. She has swallowed decades of broken promises made to look like men or money. She was choice made flesh long before we flung a pro around its neck and called those words movement. Movement is what she has always known, prone to survival, which is why you are here today. Your mother was never only your mother. Never only lover or law clerk or domestic worker. Your mother was defiant in a bathrobe and slippers, in a boardroom, in a bedroom where she said no or yes or more with a body like the one she taught you to own, like your own good name. She was failed and flawed and fortune forged and flamed the best of what could be made of this starshine and clay and inheritance of blood and grace, which is why you are here today. And we call this evolution, the way one person becomes seven billion by splitting an idea like an atom. How the single notion that every woman ought to be the absolute mistress of her own body could gather us like rainwater, deliver us here, queer and trans, man, woman, none of the above, but out loud love and the certainty that a true word spoken 100 years later is still true. You deserve every option available to you in service towards your best life. There is no light brighter than the blaze of resistance. Evolution is the insistence that we grow or die, which is why we are here today, redefining the way we see each other with broader vision, carrying a great-grandmother's mission forward like a seed tucked in the pocket of humanity. We are not tasked with the awesome calling of making a tree. We are tasked with the noble work of nurturing good soil, a place where we each might grow and toil toward a self-determined truth, where trans women, undocumented youth, little black boys playing alone in parks, each make it home at night, where the light of morning kisses them awake. The work of evolution is not to figure out what the next 100 years will make. The work of evolution is to plant the seed that from this precipice of history, we simply cannot see or know, nevertheless, will grow until you are the furthest point on a map that looks 100 years back to an audience that looks exactly and nothing like you or us, but nevertheless, I trust, will say, they are why I am here today. And we will call this evolution.
Thank you. Um, so, really quickly, so like I said, I get to be the uh, one of the vessels um, of this amazing work that I call Radical Self-Love um, that is about how we transform the world by transforming our relationships with our own bodies and transforming the way we see and understand the bodies of others. When we really think about the issues that plague the world, what we're talking about are bodies. We're talking about racism and ageism and sexism and homophobia and transphobia and ableism. We are talking about our relationships with bodies. And as we reconcile our relationship with our own body, we have the capacity to reconcile our relationship with the other bodies of the world. And that is how we create a just, equitable, and compassionate society, which is the one that I want to live in. That is the work that we do every day at The Body Is Not An Apology. That is the work that I wrote an entire book about. I'm really excited about that too. <laughs> um, but that work started as a poem. It started as a conversation with a friend where I told my friend who was afraid that she might have an unintended pregnancy and I asked her why she was having unprotected sex with a casual, casual partner and she shared with me that her disability made it difficult for her to be sexual and she didn't feel entitled to ask that person to use a condom. And I said to her, your body is not an apology. It is not something you offer to someone to say sorry for the way my body is. And when I said those words, I knew that they were gonna do something because they, I was like, oh, that sounds hella poetic. Maybe I'll write a poem. <laughs> uh, and so I did, I wrote a poem. And I had no idea seven years later, um, it would take me all around the world. It would take me here to Aotearoa um, as part of the Edmund Hillary Fellowship's inaugural cohort um, using radical self-love as a medium to solve global world issues. I didn't know that it would become a book or anything else, but I'm so grateful for this work and I'm so grateful for the connections that I get to make with humans like you every single day. And this is the poem that started the movement, that started the company, that's changing the world. <laughs> this poem is called The Body Is Not an Apology. The body is not an apology. Let it not be forget-me-not fixed to mattress when night threatens to leave the room empty as the belly of a crow. The body is not an apology. Do not present it as a disassembled rifle when they have yet to prove themselves more than common intruder. The body is not an apology. Let it not be common as oil, ash, or toilet. Let it not be small as gravel, stain, or teeth. Let it not be mountain when it is sand. Let it not be ocean when it is grass. Let it not be shaken, flattened, or raised in contrition. The body is not an apology. Do not present the body as communion, confession. Do not ask for it to be pardoned as criminal. The body is not a crime, is not a gun, is not a spill to be contained, is not a lost set of keys, a wrong number dialed. It is not the burst of orange to protect, to shame white dresses. The body is not an apology. It is not the unintended granule of bone beneath will. The body is not kill, is not unkempt car, is not a forgotten appointment. Do not speak it vulgarly. The body is not soiled, is not filth to be forgiven. The body is not an apology. It is not a father's backhand. 
It's not mother's dinner late again, wrecked jaw howl. It is not the drunken sorcery of contorting still round tree. The body is not calamity. The body is not a math test. The body is not a wrong answer. The body is not a failed class. You are not failing. The body is not a hole, not a cavity to be filled, to be yanked out, not a broken thing to be mended, be tossed. The body is not prison, is not sentenced to be served, is not pavement, is not prayer. Do not give the body as gift, only receive it as such. The body is not to be prayed for, is to be prayed to. So, for the evermore tortile 10th grade nose, hallelujah. For the shower song throat that crackles like a grandfather's Victrola, hallelujah. For the spine that never healed, for the broken heart that didn't either, hallelujah. For the sloping pope of back, hip, belly, hosanna. For the errant hairs that rove the face like a pack of misplaced wolves, hosanna. For the parts we have endeavored to excise, blessed be the cancer. The palsy, the womb that opens like a trap door, praise the body in its blackjack magic, even in this. For the razor wire mouth, for the sweet God ribbon within, praise for the mistake that never was, praise for the mistake you never were, for the bend, twist, fall and rise again, fall and rise again, for the raising like an obstinate Christ, for the salvation of a body that bends like a baptismal bowl for those who will worship at the lip of this sanctuary. Praise the body, for the body is not an apology. The body is deity. The body is God. The body is God. The only righteous love who will never need repent. Thank you, Altero. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast from the 2018 Auckland Writers' Festival. You can find a range of other festival talks, interviews and discussions on iTunes and SoundCloud and on our website, writersfestival.co.nz.